Hello, my friends, and welcome once again to the DDP. I am Paul White. It's the fifth day of December. Thank you for joining me. We are in Advent season, this anticipating the arrival of Christ. I, I just, I, I don't want to dwell on that as a topic today because we're in this Abrahamic journey and we're going to get back. I'm very excited to get back in Genesis 15. But I do want to say that in many churches today, there will be celebrations and really beginning last Sunday in Advent season all the way up till Christmas about this arrival of Christ, the, the initial arrival of Jesus. And I just want to say to you today that in a world of hustle and bustle where everything goes faster and faster and it's as if the holiday season, it's like we're trying to push the gas pedal down and go as hard as we can, squeeze as many events and activities. It's such a it's so juxtaposed against this pregnancy, wait, 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 gestation period of Jesus that Mary goes through. And it's as if there is this natural pushback in the spirit realm against the patience of waiting for the baby and the impatience of a world that secularizes these holidays. I know that we have to deal with the secularization of the holiday, but let's not use, lose the sacredness of it. And part of the sacredness of the Advent season is the patience of waiting on Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that today. Encourage you to do that each day as, you, as we so rapidly now, less than three weeks until Christmas, and so rapidly approach that moment. Try to take some time and reflect on the Advent of Jesus and and allowing yourself as much as possible with your daily readings, your quiet time, your prayer time, your meditation time, thinking about him and the relevance of that first advent in the world of its day and what it looks like in you and in me. Well, that's a worthwhile topic and probably, well, we I can't say enough. It's all I'll say for today and we'll make more mention of Advent and waiting on him as we approach Christmas. And certainly as we get to the Christmas holiday, we'll take some time and deal with, with some of those topics. Speaking of Christmas, I do have an announcement. I will be at my dad's church on the 26th day of December, the day after Christmas. We're going up this year to celebrate Christmas in Missouri. Natasha's family's there. My family is there. We're meeting. We'll have our son uh, at home from college. So Lucas and Lauren will both be with us and we're going to go up and visit and spend time with family. Christmas is on a Saturday, so we're going to stay over. I'm going to minister for my dad and I will be preaching some form of Advent, some form of Chris Christmas sermon. Um, <laughs> here, here's a little insight. One of the most disappointing things about being an itinerant minister is that you miss the high holy days, the Christian calendar. You don't get to preach because pastors don't have guest speakers in on Easter, and they don't have guest speakers in on Christmas. And so I'm actually very excited. My dad, and my dad, when I told him that recently, was like, well, you can come preach every Easter and every Christmas you want to, but so graciously invited us to stay over and preach. So I'm very excited. Check my website for times and address. It's the Southside General Baptist Church in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, the 26th day of December. And I hope that you can make it if you're in that area. Also, I might as well go ahead and put these out there. 17th of December, we're in Chapin, South Carolina. 
19th of December, monthly meeting, Flowery Branch, Georgia, for those who might be wondering about our monthly meetings for the month of December. And yes, we are continuing those into the new year in the month of January, and I'll give you dates and all that stuff in the coming days. All right, for the next few minutes, I want to turn the page on this Abraham declared righteous by faith idea, which we get in Genesis 15, 6. I want to start to look at Abraham's response to the fact that God tells him, I'm going to give you a land. In the eighth verse, Abraham says, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And God says to him, bring a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And this becomes the template for the Levitical sacrificial system. When you get into Leviticus and it starts to lay out what Israel is supposed to do in response, how are they to worship, how are they to approach God through burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings, meal offerings, meat offerings. When they do, they have these options of animals to choose from. They can pick from a a bull or a heifer, uh, a goat, a ram, or a lamb, or a turtle dove, or a pigeon. And as you note, they not only decrease in physical size, they decrease in expense. So the most expensive sacrifice is the heifer or the bull. And the least expensive of all of the sacrifices is the pigeon. You go all the way down from a big bull all the way down to a little pigeon. And not only, of course, physically, but financially, there's a difference. And this is not to indicate that a wealthy person gets more out of the sacrifice than a poor person, but rather that there's an equality. We've talked about that over the last few weeks, that equality in the sacrificial system that God designs through Leviticus. This is where we first see this surface, and it'll be something that really permeates the Old Covenant story all the way up into the ministry of Jesus. But the reason that I'm bringing this to the surface is because the reason the sacrificial covenantal sacrifice is instituted in Genesis 15 is not in response to sin. It's in response to covenant. Abraham says, how will I know that that I'm going to receive an inheritance? And God says, here's how you'll know, and gives him the tiered system of sacrifice. This idea that sacrifice is supposed to be done in response to the recognition of sin is more of a new... That's, that's a sort of a neo-sacrificial way of thinking. That's new. That's not the Genesis account of the sacrificial system. When Cain and Abel offer their sacrifice, they do not do it because they have sinned. They do it in response to God. When Abraham is told to bring sacrificial animals here in Genesis 15, it's not because Abraham has sinned. It's because Abraham wants confirmation that God will do what God said he was going to do. So the earliest sacrifices of the book of Genesis, be it the Cain and Abel or be it the Genesis 15 Abrahamic, they're in response to God. They're in response, they're worship sacrifices or Their sacrifice is meant to show God's true to His promise. They're confirmation sacrifices. And so what gets laid on the altar isn't always always dying as sin. 
it's sometimes dying as a way of proving the worth of both parties. That both parties take the commitment to whatever has been laid out there so serious that they're willing to cross over the blood of something else. They, they are basically saying, this is how serious I am about our promise. This is what I think should happen to me if I break my end of the deal. So God can't, he has no other means by which to prove to man his seriousness. And yet he lower, and, and please hang with me as I say this, yet God lowers himself to a sacrificial system. He could have just said to Abraham, listen, I don't have to prove anything to you. I said, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. But it's in the heart of God to give Abraham something to hang his hat on. The sacrificial system will be that. And I want you to think about this today, going into tomorrow. If God does that for Abraham in response to Abraham wondering if the covenant is his, then what might the cross represent for all of us in Christianity. Hint, the Abrahamic covenant had nothing to do with sin. So what might the Christ cross covenant represent for us? We'll dig in further tomorrow. See you then. God bless.